as we've been going through the book of Leviticus, here's one of the things that we want to hold on to all the way through. That is, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when you open up the book of Leviticus, you are going to read every word proceeding from the mouth of God. And before we look at it, and hopefully when we finish studying, you'll see Leviticus is there for us. Remember, as we go through the Old Testament, it was a time for the children of Israel to receive from the Lord uh, as, as God was revealing himself to them. But for you and I, we can look back and, and retain from those lessons that God gave them instruction for us. Help us. What do I do? How do I walk? The, the, the overall emphasis in the book of Leviticus is holiness. And today, we have an under-emphasis on holiness. We're, we're so happy to just fit in with, with everyone else, we forget that God said, Be ye holy as I am holy. That God calls us to be different, set apart. That's all holiness means, to be set apart. What was the children of Israel's, what was one of their main issues? That they were different than everyone else. They'd go into the land of Canaan and the Canaanites would look and they'd say, wow, you know, they're kind of blessed. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about tonight, that a lot of the diseases, God made a promise to them in Exodus 15. He said, listen, if you'll obey me, I'm going to keep you from these diseases that, that are running rampant through the, the land of Canaan. The other Canaanites would look and notice that. And maybe they'd say, wow, you know, maybe, maybe we want to trade in our gods and, and come to, to worship your God. And one of the things that they would discover right off the bat, they had to be different. Because God affected how they dress, what they ate, how they worshiped, the sacrifices that were made and how they were received. And what we read from that is that God wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. We get comfortable here in the United States that God being our Sunday morning God or, or a Wednesday evening God. God is the God of every day, every moment, every minute, every hour, every second. He's still the Lord, and he calls us to come out from them. That's what he told the children of Israel. Come out from among them and be separate. Be different. Be a light. Isn't that what Jesus tells us to be? If we're going to be a light, we can't be a light if we're hiding under a bushel, right? That little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We all remember that song from Sunday school. God wants us to let that light shine. How do we let that light shine? Be holy as I am holy. Following the example of Jesus Christ. Allowing the light of Jesus Christ to be reflected in our lives. That people would see. So in the children of Israel's experience, as they move forward, they reach a point in their relationship with God where ultimately this is what they say. Hey, we, we, we want to be like everybody else. We don't want God to be our king anymore. We want a king like everybody else. We want to look like everybody else looks. And those are the struggles that we have growing up in christianity when as we raise our children up that'll be the cry of our kids just as it was the cry of the children of israel why can't we do this why can't we do that how come i can't be a part of of this thing or the other thing why why do we have to be different because god calls us to be different he calls us to be holy set apart given to him utterly and completely 
So as we look at the book of Leviticus, you'll remember we, we were going through uh, Leviticus chapter 11. We'll uh, just back up on it real quick and kind of touch on some of the points that we were talking about. But keep in mind, Leviticus gives a dietary law to the nation of Israel. And we talked about this simple point. Does it really matter why? Because I can give you all the whys if you really want it. But if God told you to do this or that, is it enough that it came from God? That God said, hey, this is what you ought to do. I remember listening to a fellow on the radio. I used to turn his radio show on uh, back in California because he made me so mad. Uh, he was a, a preacher, um, I guess. I mean, he didn't believe in anything. He didn't believe in the, the scriptures. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. I mean, he was a preacher, but I don't know of what. And he would get on there and he would talk. And he would sit, talk about how foolish Christianity is. And even though, of course, again, he, he was a, a pastor of a congregationalist, uh, a congregationalist minister. But his point was always, he'd point back to the law. And he'd say, if you're going to keep the law and you're going to say you follow the Lord, then you might as well just say goodbye to shellfish and say goodbye and keep all the law. If you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep it all. Well, in that respect, it's true. But he would talk about how ridiculous it is. I mean, come on, what's wrong with having a lobster now and again? What's wrong with eating a mussel? What's wrong with, with eating other things than what was on the dietary plan? Folks, here's how it works in the scriptures. God reveals himself to man to the point where man is able to receive that revelation. In other words, God doesn't paint the whole picture out for Adam and Eve. He just reveals himself, what they can deal with, how they can handle it. When he comes to the children of Israel, they're getting ready to go in the Canaanite land. And he says, this is the dietary law. This is how I want you to walk. The time's going to come when God repeals that. When the Lord says, hey, doesn't matter what you eat. Give thanks for it. But at this time, they're not there. Why is he laying this out? Why does he tell them this? Because first off, God cares about every aspect of your life. That includes what you eat, what you drink, what you do with your day. It matters to the Lord. God wants to be a part of every single aspect. He doesn't want us to keep that little closet hidden somewhere that we don't want to open to him. He wants to be involved in it all. And if we'll look at chapter 11, we'll see that as we're looking at understanding what holiness is, he gives us a clue based on what was clean and what was unclean. You remember, we talked about the, the unclean or the, the clean and the unclean animals. Now, is this the first time clean or unclean has been discussed? It isn't. Well, this is where God really delineates it, but, but we know Noah brought seven of the clean animals on the ark. How do you know what was clean? How, how, did, how did they know the sacrifices all the way back? And Cain and Abel offered sacrifices. Who taught them? Who showed them? Well, God. God showed Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden how they get their skins from a sacrifice. And they were sacrificing and passing on that tradition all the way through. They kind of had an understanding, but now the Lord lays it out in writing. Why? So you and I have an opportunity to look at it. So you and I can see it and glean from it how God wants us to walk. How can we walk clean before the Lord? What is, what is the example that he's given us? Look, uh, 11 verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said to them, Here's what's clean and unclean. In verse 4, Nevertheless, 
These you shall not eat among those who chew the cud. So the point that he gives us is, listen, cloven hoofs, chewing the cud. Cloven hoofs, chewing the cud makes you clean. What does cloven hoofs speak of? Our walk, the walk, how the animals walked. It was a separated, divided hoof. We're to be separated from the world. How we walk makes us clean or unclean. Are we separated in our walk? Then they chew the cud. They chew the cud. They're, they're chewing on the word, meditating day and night. How will a young man cleanse his ways? By paying heed to your word, O Lord. In fact, the idea of chewing the cud is where they get the word meditate. Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night means to chew the cud. And so when we look at this, when we see these dietary examples, may we remember that this is how the Lord wants us to walk. He wants us to walk clean. He wants us to walk with Him. You'll remember we went down, we talked about the, the fish. What did the fish have to have? Scales. It mattered how the fish, had scales and fins, how they went through the water. Now we can go and we can say how the other fish at uh, different times of the years were ripe for disease and that those same diseases and those same parasites affected every nation in the Canaanite culture except for one, the Jews, because they kept the dietary law. But I shouldn't have to explain the whys. It should be enough that God said, hey, this is what you eat, and this is not what you eat. We go a little bit further. We talked about the birds, you remember? And the Lord said we shouldn't eat bats. So, guys, I'm sorry. When you go home, take that off your menu. I'm sure all of you are excited to eat bats. One of the things that fell in California, I always like to talk about how dumb the Bible is, because the Bible says that a bat is a bird. No, we said a bat is a bird. What the Bible says in that phrase where it says birds in the Hebrew, it means flying things. Here's what you can eat of the flying things. So a bat definitely fits in that category. So just with a little bit of a careful understanding, we can understand what it is God's talking about. What's he take away in, in, in uh, chapter 11 with the birds and the fish, those things that would bring parasites and diseases upon his people. He protects them. He's protecting them. The sooner we realize that when God tells us to stay away from something, it's protection and not trying to keep us from fun, the better off we're going to be. But if we think, oh, yeah, that just applied then. It doesn't really apply now. It's the same concept. The concept is the same. Sure, we eat what we want. But the concept is, will you obey what God's word says? Because when God tells us to stay away from something, it's for our good. We got to just be willing to receive it. Be willing to believe it. He, he directed what we, what we could eat of the birds, what we could eat of the fish. Now, as we go down a little further, verse 20, we'll pick it up right there. It says, now all flying insects that creep on all fours will be an abomination to you. So, once again... Those creepy crawlies we're going to take off the table. Again, people point to this section of Scripture and they say, that it says they crawl on all fours. Insects have six legs. Some eight legs. Why does it say crawl on all fours? But we get the point, don't we? When the Bible says crawl around on all fours, it means they're crawling around. It's a figure of speech that the Bible is using. It's not trying to be a scientific journal. He's not going to go into those with six legs and those with eight legs and those with more legs and... And all that stuff, he's just saying, listen, if they crawl around, no good. Don't eat the crawling around bugs. Okay, so if you're sitting at home and a roach crawls by and you're just filled with the desire to pick that little puppy up and eat it, 
you probably ought to leave them alone. Just in case, you know, you never know. So those who crawl around on all fours, leave them be. But listen, yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, those which have jointed legs above their feet, with which to leap on the earth. Oh, so he just cut us loose and said we can eat locusts and grasshoppers and crickets. Yippee. I can hardly wait to go tell Kathy the new food to put on the menu. Again, as we take a look at it, realize the point. The point is, God is calling the nation of Israel to be different from all the other nations that were around. Because they ate whatever they wanted to eat. Whenever they wanted to eat it, however they wanted to eat it. That was all that they were about. Nobody would tell them what they could or couldn't have. But the nation of Israel was different. Separated to God. To obey God's word. What God directs. How God leads. How God guides. He goes on and says, Now these you may eat. The locusts, the destroying locusts, the cricket, and the grasshopper. I have ate a couple of those, by the way, when we moved up here. (laughs) On that motorcycle, driving down the road, getting all happy and smiling and... Right between the teeth there. You can't stop it. You spit the legs back out, but the juice all went down. It's probably why I'm so healthy today. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. By these, uh, by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until the evening. Now here is an interesting tidbit. Even up until relatively modern age, people began to discover that there was this high mortality rate among women giving birth. One in six would die. Well, they couldn't figure out why. But here's what they would do. When, when, whichever women died in in childbirth the night before they go down to the morgue the doctors would take their students down to the morgue and they would autopsy the mothers and try to figure out what had gone wrong and they would leave from that place and go to the living moms that were ready to deliver without washing their hands without cleaning themselves off at all they would in, they would begin to examine the women and then once again they would pass on whatever diseases and things were going on after they touched the dead to the living. And that is in what we would call the modern age. I'm not talking about the dark ages. In fact, the first doctor who said, you need to start washing your hands after you touch the dead, was laughed to scorn and ultimately driven to insanity and died in an insane asylum because of the grief he took for saying that they needed to wash their hands. Yet in the hospitals that he took over and required them to wash their hands, the mortality rate immediately changed. And moms began to live. And as soon as they figured out, when you go from person to person who's living, you should wash your hands too. Well, now we enter into a period of time where infection isn't quite as rampant as it was then. But listen, the Bible said 2,000 years before all that, If you touch something dead, you're unclean. You need to wash. You need to stay away from other people. You need to not bring whatever that infection or whatever was on that critter or on that dead person and infect other people with it. 
Guys, because the nation of Israel followed these dietary rules and the, the sanitary rules that we're going to read in, in this chapter in Leviticus, they were almost untouched by the Black Plague. We're going to read, as we go through it, you're going to see why they were untouched. Because they believed God's word. They applied God's word to their life. They were different from everyone else. And they were blessed. They were blessed by God. They were blessed because they obeyed and God had told them for a reason. But they didn't need to know the reason. They just needed to obey. And every one of us, we talked about it last week, has said to our kids, when they say, why? Why? Because I told you so. I shouldn't have to explain if you play with those two wires sticking out of the wall that electricity is going to run through your body until you're dead. I should just be able to say, don't touch that. Right? But then God also should be able to speak to us and just tell us, don't do this. And we should receive that. And we should walk in it and be holy as he is holy. So here's what he says. Folks, the clean cannot make the unclean clean. You get that right. But the unclean can make the clean unholy. That works in life too. The clean cannot make the unclean holy. But the unclean can make the clean unholy. We, we understand that today if someone's got the measles, right, you don't take someone who doesn't have it and rub them up against them. And say there, now they're going to be healed. It doesn't work, but the fellow who didn't have it is going to get it. So the same way in our lives, when God calls us to be separate from the world, why does he do that? He calls us to be separate from the world so that we won't be stained by the sin that's in the world. But folks, one of the things that runs rampant through the church today is complacency. The willingness to to negotiate with the world. That we would look like the world. That we would behave like the world. That we would be... Not just in the world, but infected by it. And God would say, no, come out from among them. Be different. Don't be just like them. Don't be the same. He says now in verse 25, whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them will wash his clothes and be unclean till evening. Folks, nobody did this. Nobody in the ancient world did this. No one. How did Moses know? How did he know if you, if you got dead things on you or you go pick up a dead critter and throw it away that the, that the parasites that were on that dead critter are on you now? That they're on your hands, that they're on your clothes, that you need to wash your clothes, that you need to clean yourself. How did he know? Because God told him. Nobody else in that time period, even up until the modern age, understood that. Millions of people would not have died in the Black Plague if they would have just read the Word of God and applied it. You know what halted leprosy in the, in the ancient world? When the church stood up and started to follow what the Word of God said in the book of Leviticus. And all of a sudden, leprosy wasn't running rampant anymore. It's amazing what happens when we apply God's Word. God knows what we need and how we need it. The carcass of any animal which divides a foot but is not cloven hoofed and does not chew the cut is unclean everyone who touches it will be unclean why listen in that world in the animals that were a part of that even if you came in contact with them the parasites from those animals could be transmitted from animal to man and man to animal back and forth spread all over the place so what's god say if you touch it you become unclean 
It not only does it provide you and I a picture that if we play with things that are unclean, it makes us dirty, but it also provided the very practical reality that people need to wash their hands. And so, God's people were different from others because they applied that. Whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean till evening, set apart. Whoever carries any such carcass will wash his clothes and be unclean till evening. It is unclean to you. He's laying out the cleanliness laws. There, these shall also, these also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth. The mole, the mouse, the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them, when they are dead, shall be unclean till evening. You understand? That's the black plague right there. The fleas on the back of the rats. And people not cleaning the stuff that the rat, they found the dead rats in. People just, you know, picking up that dead rat and throwing it off. And then having the same parasites transfer from that rat to them. And people died in humongous gigantic mass open graves bodies in the street but thousands of years earlier we had the word of god telling us hey these things are unclean don't touch them don't touch them look what he says anything on which any of them falls when they are dead will be unclean so you open up your cabinet and there's a dead mouse laying in your dishes You don't just scoot the mouse out of the way, do you, and pick up the dish and put your ice cream in it? Oh, we're all like, but that's how people died. How did Moses know? God told him. This is radically, radically different from all other advice that was going on in the world then. Why is it radically different? Because it came from God. It's proof that it came from God. There are some crazy ideas they had. They had some crazy ideas. Here, I'll share a couple of their crazy ideas with you. I, I kept a couple. Here's, here was the, the things that Moses was taught in the best schools in Egypt. You ready? If you have a splinter, you would treat that splinter with worm's blood and donkey poo. Well, that's a good idea, right? Unfortunately, the donkey's dung is loaded with tetanus. And so, an amazing number of people who had splinters died of lockjaw. That was the common wisdom of the day. You don't read that anywhere in the Bible, do you? No, what you read in the Bible is what would fall right alongside the medical journals today. Why? Because it's God's Word. It's perfect. It's righteous. It's holy. If that part is perfect, righteous, and holy, can I accept the rest when the Lord tells me that that it's not good for a man to lie with a man? For a woman to lie with a woman? Do I got to know why? Can I just say, yeah, God said it, so should I make the argument, well, you know, I was was born, that that that's just the way I am. Well, good. I'm born a thief. I'm born a robber. I'm born someone who just likes to beat the snot out of other people. I should be able to do that too, right? Life is all about taking and setting aside our flesh and the desires of our flesh and following a holy God. 
accepting what God says and moving forward in that acceptance. Listen, they go on. Anything that they touch, <clears throat> you're, you're, it's unclean. Whether it's an item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever the item is in which any work is done, it must be put in water and it shall be unclean till evening, then it shall be clean. They had to wash the stuff that the dead thing touched. Now that seems so normal to us. But it was revolutionary then. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you will break. Any earth, any clay pot that a dead mouse or a dead gecko or whatever was found in, they broke it. Why? Because they're porous. You couldn't clean it out. So you break it. Don't use it. Because of those cleanliness laws, again, the Black Plague literally was untouched among uh, uh, the Jews in Europe. Any earthen vessel you will break. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. So you're washing something out, and, and it splashes out into, hey, just throw it away. We wouldn't even think twice about it. If I find a, a mouse digging around through my Wheaties, I'm not eating the Wheaties. They're out. See you later. Okay, so this is what he's telling them. This is how he's laying it out. Everything on which a part of any carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it's in an oven or a cooking stove, it will be broken down for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. You understand what he said? See, they didn't practice this anywhere else in Europe. They, they, they were to, if they found a mouse in their stove, they take the stove apart. Clean it all out. Put it back together. If it was unclean, they made it clean before they would use it. They made it set apart. They made it sanctified. They made it holy. How does that happen in our lives? How are we made holy to the Lord? By washing ourselves in the water of the Word of God. How are we infected? By touching anything in the world. We're infected. How do we keep that infection from spreading and, and ruling over us? We wash ourselves in the Word of God. You wash yourselves daily. As much as is necessary, you wash yourself in the water of God's Word. How will a young man cleanse his ways? By paying heed to your Word, O Lord. Then look what he says in verse 36. Nevertheless... A spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water will be clean, but whatever touches any such car carcass becomes unclean. What's he saying? Living water is clean. Living water, if the water was moving in a stream or a spring, that water was clean. If you had a huge cistern and there was a mouse in it, now if you have a cistern and it's full of dead critters, that's not clean. This is what he's laying out. And he's going to tell them that they need a certain amount of water. Do you know how, how long a doctor washes his hands today? Between visits? 15 minutes. Supposed to be. 15 minutes. That's how long it's supposed to take. Scrub, scrub, rub-a-dub-dub, -dub, scrub his hands. Get all clean. Before the next one. Now, we don't want to ask anybody what they really do. But that's what they're... It's make you nervous when a nurse laughs, huh? But that's how long they're supposed to. Well, what's the Bible saying here? Hey, running water. It should be plenty of water. And in part, uh, and if a part of any such carcass falls on a planting seed, which is to be sown, it's okay. So if it's in your seeds, 
Bible says that's all right. You find something dead in the seeds, don't worry about it. Just throw the dead thing out. You're unclean. Wash your hands. But if water has been put to the seed, or if any part of any such carcass falls on it, then it's unclean. So as long as the seed had its shell, the husk, it hadn't begun to open because it hadn't been placed in the ground or, or begun to give root, it was fine. But as soon as water had been on it and that dead creature was there, then it could be infected. The Lord says it's unclean. If any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass is unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean till evening. He who carries his carcass will wash his clothes and be unclean till evening. Now, it's pretty basic for you and me, but revolutionary for them. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth will be an abomination. It will not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you will not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. You know that the Bible says evil company corrupts good habits, right? And that's true in our lives. He's telling us to make a distinction. It doesn't mean you never have any affiliation with anyone who's not a believer, but it does mean you need to know when you touch them, you hang out with them, when they're a big part of your life, they make you unclean. You need to wash in the Word of God. We all know stories of people who go out and try to help other people, but they're not focused on the fact that they're being infected at the same time, only to watch them go down that same trail. Only to watch them be uh, uh, infected. So for you and I, it's not so much that we got to wash our hands every time we touch them, but we need to make sure we're staying grounded in God's Word so that the, the message of the world's not pulling us their way. But rather, the message that the Lord has for us is what's guiding and leading us. Verse 44 is the key, the book of Leviticus. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy as I am holy. Listen, the Lord lays himself out right here in these two verses as creator and redeemer. I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who made you and I want you to be holy as I am holy. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, your Redeemer. I want you to be holy as I am holy. Nothing has changed. God still wants us to be holy. The emphasis isn't necessarily on what we eat anymore, but the emphasis is on how we walk, what we do, what touches our life, what we touch in our life, and recognizing that to, to be holy, there has to be that washing. John chapter 13, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, right? When Peter said, wash all of me, what did Jesus say? You don't need to, all of you doesn't need to be washed. Just your feet are dirty. And then after he did it, what did he say? Now you are clean by the word that I have spoken to you. The word of God makes us clean. Washed in the water of his word. This is the law of the animals, the birds, and every creature that moves in the water, and every creature that 
creeps on the earth. To distinguish between unclean and clean, between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. To distinguish between clean and unclean. Folks, we need to do a better job of that in our life. Because all of us probably spend far too much time with the unclean. I'm not necessarily talking about people. The things we watch on TV, the things we read, the things we allow through our ear gate, our eye gate. All of these things that come into our life. How much unclean are we pouring in? And we wonder why walking with the Lord is such a struggle. My daddy told me a long time ago, you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become a new creation. You've probably all heard the illustration. It's like you have two dogs living in you. The junkyard dog and this nice, pretty little, cute dog. The junkyard dog's the old you. Wants to tear up that pretty little, cute dog. And that pretty little, cute dog wants to tear up that junkyard dog. The Bible says you will spend the rest of your existence on earth in a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Which one wins? The one you feed the most. You pour in all the unclean, the junkyard dog is going to whoop it. And you wonder why.
Okay. Wow, there it is. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay, so the Minnesota Crime Commission and laying out this report so we can see um, that every child, doesn't matter where they're born or how they grow up, they are born with a sin nature, period. And it's our job as parents to teach them right. To, to help them understand what is real. That's why the Bible says uh, parents discipline their children promptly when they love them. The Bible says if you hate your children, you don't discipline them at all. Because they're going to grow up in their self-centeredness in that infancy. And they're just going to run rampant with it. Hey, I should be able to do whatever I want. Where? On what planet? That doesn't exist anywhere. Nowhere. In your little mind. That's the only place it exists. Our job is to guide them, to teach them, to lead them. That is what a parent is supposed to do. And when we look at Leviticus chapter 12, as we begin going through, here's what the Lord says to Moses about childbirth. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she will be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin will be circumcised. So first off, we see she's going to be, ultimately she's going to be removed, if you will, from society for 40 days. We'll see that as we go on. She's unclean. Why is she unclean? Because God wants us never to forget that another sinner was born. This is at the same time, doesn't the Bible teach us that children are a blessing? Doesn't the Bible command man and woman to, to be fruitful and multiply? All those things are true at the same time. But we can never lose sight that that child that is born is a sinner. It is infected with sin. That little baby is every bit as, as much a sinner as anyone else. And we need to understand that. So what's God going to call for? A sin offering right out the gate. The other interesting point is that, that he had uh, the male child circumcised on the eighth day. Why is that important? There, on the eighth day, every male child has over 100% of the prothrombin that he'll ever have in his entire life and the highest count of vitamin K. What does that mean? He is going to blood clot. Better than any other time in his life on the eighth day. Wow, God must have just got lucky, right? Pick that out of his hat and that's how it worked out. No, God knows what he's doing. What do they do today when they circumcise? They give him a shot of vitamin K. They'll circumcise them right out the gate nowadays. But back then, <laughs> back then, on the eighth day, why? Because that was when he would, he would have everything that he needed naturally in his body to be able to accomplish that circumcision. Well, look what happens. After he's circumcised, she shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She will not touch any hallowed thing nor come to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. She spends, every mom spends 40 days as unclean after she gives birth to a male child. It's going to be different when we come to a female child. 
the point of emphasis is a sinner was just born. And while we celebrate the blessedness of having a child, we can never lose sight of that. Far too many parents lose sight of that these days. Once upon a time when you got in trouble at school and your mom and dad found out about it, you got a whooping. And you were told not to do that no more. Now you get in trouble at school and your mama goes after the teacher. What do you mean you're saying my son or daughter did this or that? What did we just teach? What lesson have we taught? That I always got my child's back? They don't need to know that. They figure that out every, every night when they sit down and eat. When they go to bed and they got a pillow and a blanket and the house is warm. They need to know that there are requirements in this world that you are required to fulfill. But of late, that's been a lesson that's struggled to get across. Why? Because we never see our children as possibly being wrong. How could my child be wrong? Oh, my child, good. No, your child is a sinner, just like every other dirty, rotten child born on the planet. They're sinners. You didn't have to teach them a lie. My child never lies. Well, he's the only one on the entire planet. And then he should be dying on a cross for our sins because the only other one was Jesus Christ. We got to start to realize that our children are not perfect. They're not righteous. They're sinners. And so when they were born, 40 days of uncleanliness. Now, the, the woman was unclean for 40 days, and I bet she was just bummed about it. You mean I just had a baby and I don't have to run off to church and make my sacrifices and do the dishes and cook and clean? No, she got 40 days off. She couldn't touch any hallowed thing. 40 days off. I'd say that's a pretty good deal. I don't know too many women that would complain about that. That Women be praying for a daughter because it's even better for her. Then the scripture goes on and says, But if she bears a female child, then she will be unclean two weeks. It's doubled. As in her customary impurity, she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. Why? Why, why is it so much more? Why, why? What's the difference? The difference is relatively simple if we take a look at it and, and see it. First off, God is making a distinction between the sexes. The sooner we realize that we're not the same, the better off we are going to be. We are not the same. Male and female, if they were the same, the Lord wouldn't have made a distinction. For he created them male and female, male and female, he created them. Listen, he made us different. They're different. They're different and we need to understand it's different. But at the same time... As we look at the the female child, why is it doubled? Because a sinner was just born who will also bear more sinners. More sinners will be born. Why is that important? Remember, when we look at the book of Leviticus, what do we need to understand? The horrible reality of what sin does. See, you and I, we hide behind it. We say, oh, you know, it's just... A cute little thing. or so it's, it's a little sin. No, it's the same sin that is going to rot and kill and destroy. Just like all the diseases that weren't going to touch the children of Israel, 
if they were obedient. Sin will destroy. We don't get that up cross to our children. We are doing a disservice to our kids. They need to understand the awfulness of sin. So they would emphasize that on the female child who will give birth to another sinner was doubled for her. Mom got twice the amount of time off as she would have got otherwise. And when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, now here there's no distinction, she will bring to the priest a lamb for the first year as a burnt offering, a young pigeon or turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. She's going to bring that burnt offering. She's going to bring a sin offering because immediately, right out the gate, that baby, as far as you and I are concerned, hadn't done nothing wrong, but there's going to be a sin offering for that baby. There's going to be a sin offering offered up, a lamb of the first year. And he will offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is a law for her who has born a male or a female. And if she's not able to bring a lamb, then she brings what? Two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Fast forward to Luke chapter 2. What is it that Mary brought? After the time of her purification was fulfilled, 40 days after she gave birth to the Messiah, she came and offered two turtle doves. The offering of the poor. Apparently, the prosperity doctrine hadn't reached Mary and Joseph. They were unaware that they were supposed to be filled with wealth and have everything that they needed. The reality is we have everything we need in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we see right here, this is the law for her. It speaks to you and I of the fact that when we have beautiful children, they're little sinner babies. And we can't lose sight of that. We want to be able to recognize, to realize, and hold on to it. What did David write in Psalm 51? You remember Psalm 51.5? Hold your fingers here. Let's flip over to the Psalms. Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalmist knew it. Why? How do you know? Because it was taught in Leviticus, in the sacrificial system, and the cleanliness and uncleanliness laws that were laid out for the children of Israel. They are born in Sin. They understood. We need to understand. We need to hold on. We need to realize that those things are true. Then as we go on, he comes to chapter 13. Now, we're not going to get very far in chapter 13, so don't panic. Chapter 13 deals with leprosy. Literally, it deals with sara'at. It uh, means... A skin disease, not necessarily only confined to leprosy, uh, but it was, it's, it's what we look to most commonly as leprosy or what they call Hansen's disease today. When we look at this chapter and as we go through it, it's a little bit of an introduction. We need to realize that when we look at this, leprosy throughout the scriptures is always a picture of sin. 
Why? Because it and sin have the same deal. They work the same way in our lives. Here's how they're similar. Leprosy begins as nothing. Just a little spot. This little thing. No big deal. But after a while, that little spot, it gets numb. It loses feeling. After it loses feeling, it slowly begins to grow. As it slowly begins to grow, it may disappear, only to return again. Then, as it returns again, more numbness in the senses. As it begins to grow more and more numb, it begins to decay. In that decay, horrible things take place. Horrible things take place within the body of those who are infected. And that... Well, let me, let me read it to you. Here's what takes place. When leprosy first appears on your skin, begins the small red spots. Before too long, they get bigger. And they start to turn white with a shinier, scaly appearance. Pretty soon, the spots spread over the entire body. At that point, your hair begins to fall out. First from the head, then from the eyebrows. As things get worse, the fingernails and the toenails become loose. They start to rot and eventually fall off. Then the joints of the fingers and the toes begin to rot. As they rot, they begin to fall off. Piece by piece. The gums start shrinking and can't hold your teeth anymore. So each of them is lost. Leprosy keeps eating away at the face until the nose is gone. And the palate and even the eyes rot out of their head. The victim wastes away inch by inch. Just like sin in our lives. Just like sin, it does the same thing. Starts off like it's no big deal. It's nothing, just a little thing. Maybe it goes away, comes back, goes away, comes back. But eventually, as it grows, we begin to lose things. We begin to, we, we begin to see parts of our, our, our life cut off. When a person was diagnosed with leprosy in the Israeli culture... In the Jewish culture, they were ostracized. They lived outside the camp. They never saw their family again. They were never touched by another human being. Wherever they, were, wherever they walked, people shouted, unclean. They were totally and utterly taken out of society, pushed off to the side. What does sin do in our life? Sin sets us off as alone. It destroys family. It divides people and ultimately leaves you alone in the darkness with nothing. That's what it does. The leprosy becomes that kind of a picture. Becomes that kind of a picture for us. So as we begin to take a look at chapter 13 and the laws concerning leprosy, hold on to two points. One, it actually worked. And leprosy, whenever this has been followed, leprosy has been halted. Secondly, it it speaks to the reality of what sin wants to do in our life, how sin begins to work, how sin begins to spread, what it begins to accomplish, and how it reveals itself in our lives. Thirdly, one of the things that you're going to realize is, in all the time that this law was given, one person 
was cured of leprosy, not cured. There's no cure. There was only being cleansed. One person was made clean. His name was Naaman, and he was a Gentile. And uh, he never presented himself to any priest. And then you come to the time of Jesus. This is going to sit in their history vaults. The priests are going to study chapter 13 and 14. They're going to understand how to look. And all they're ever going to really apply is chapter 13. Because chapter 13 tells them what to do when they find someone who has leprosy. So they're going to apply that. They're going to utilize it. They're going to run with it. They're going to make that happen. Chapter 14 tells them what to do when they're cleansed. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they're never going to apply it. They're going to read chapter 14 and wonder why is it even here. Until the time of the Mashiach Nagid, until Jesus. On one day, he's going to cleanse ten lepers. Throughout his ministry, he's going to cleanse many more. One leper, the Bible tells us, Jesus is going to touch. Why? Because it worked like this. Dad comes home from work one night, goes in, washes himself. He's, he's cleaning himself. Maybe he's trimming something up on his face. He drops something, hits his toe, but he didn't feel that. That's kind of weird. He begins to look at his feet and he notices red and white spots. Well, he does what he's supposed to do. He goes, presents himself to the priests. The priests are going to look at it. They're going to sequester him for seven days. They're going to take him away from all the people for seven days and watch and see if it spreads. And as it spreads, they're going to declare him unclean. From that moment, he never touches his children again, ever. He never touches his wife. He's never going to live with them. He's never going to be able to be near them. At that moment, at the priest's office... He's going to have to wear certain garments. He's, his garments that he was wearing are going to be burned. He's going to be wrapped up. He's going to have to move outside of the city, outside of the city's protection, outside of everything that the city had to offer him. And he'll spend the rest of his miserable existence up to nine years, some as long as 20 years, slowly rotting away. Every time he got within a hundred yards of anyone, according to the Pharisaical law, he was to shout at the top of his lungs, unclean, unclean, unclean. People would spend the rest of their life throwing rocks at him and trying to keep him away. All the while, I'm sure, when the kids were playing, he'd come get around a tree, hide behind a rock, just for an opportunity to get a glimpse of his children, for an opportunity to just see for a moment his family one more time. And one of those days while he's going through all that hassle, he sees Jesus and he calls out to him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him. One of the things of leprosy, one of the things that it does is you become numb. You can't feel anything. But he would feel him then. Why would he feel him then? Because Jesus wouldn't be unable to touch him as long as he had leprosy. That means that he was cured even before Jesus laid a hand upon him. Jesus touched him, 
on his face, on his arm, but the first human touch he had felt forever. And then he was clean. He'd go to the priests and they would be scrambling. Now, prior to that time, the priests probably never told people, this ignore chapter 14, you're never going to use it. But in the three years of Jesus' ministry, man, they were using it all the time. Seems like alarms should have been going off, right? Ding, 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 something's different. When John the Baptist sent word by his disciples after John the Baptist had been arrested and they came to Jesus and they said, we need to know, are you the one that we're supposed to be looking for or shall we look for another? You know one of the things he said? You go back and tell John, lepers are cleansed. Big news. Blind see. That was another one. Promise only given that Almighty God could open the eyes of the blind. So they would apply this word. Now listen, as you think about that, realize how similar that is to people that are caught in sin, in bondage to sin. What does it do to a family? It destroys them. It divides them. Families fall apart at an astronomical rate today. Why? Because sin destroys. Utterly and completely. It makes you unclean. And you've got to be cleansed. Come, let us reason together. For though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Applying that cleansing touch of Jesus Christ. So as we look, in the, uh, next time we get together, we look at chapter 13 and 14. Recognize that that is an incredible section of Scripture fulfilled wholly and completely by Jesus Christ as he ministered to the needs of those who were caught up in leprosy. And as we look and as we guide and as we, as we go through what the Scripture lays out for us, listen, there's this book called None of These Diseases, which goes off of Exodus chapter 15 that declares, God said, if you obey me, none of these diseases are going to touch you. The diseases that ran rampant in the world then. And the same is true today. Not that you won't be touched by any diseases if you keep this diet. You'd probably be healthier. But not that you'll be free of all the diseases that run rampant throughout the world but that we would realize that when God lays out for us His instruction, there's a point and a purpose. And we don't get to go up and say, I like this one, but I don't like that one. We take it all. Because God said it. We believe it. We apply it. We move forward in it. And we experience victory because we're willing to say, I will be set apart. I will be what God's calling me to be. Different. Step out from among them so that the light of Jesus Christ can shine in our life and affect the people around us, even out of Leviticus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. As we open up your word, the truth of your word comes through, guides us, leads us, directs us. Lord God, we pray, Father, as we... Just seek to apply that the reality, God, that you're calling us to be different. You're calling us to come out from among them. You're asking us to apply the word. Father, 
even though as we do careful study, we realize that there was a purpose behind everything you said. It should be enough for us that that's what you're calling us to do. It should be enough for us to deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow you. Help us to realize, recognize, that we are all sinners, saved by grace. The only way that we can come to the Father is through the sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, may we, may we be able, and however, God, give us the wisdom to to lay that out for our kids that they understand it and help us as parents to realize they're selfish because they're born in sin. But we have the answer. We're all born with a genetic defect. But the answer to that genetic defect is a relationship with Jesus Christ. For Lord, you make us clean. And though sin's desire is to destroy, God's desire is to bring life. Lord, help us lean into you. Lean into your guidance, your direction, your blessing for our life. May we follow you and realize as we apply your word that you have incredible plans for us. good plans that everything that enters into our life is for our good and your glory Lord may we truly believe and appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ in our life that we might attain the victory here Father we lay this time before you pray that you would just apply your blessing May we desire to be cleansed by the word that you have spoken. We lay it before you in Jesus' name. Amen.